Hey, what's up, guys? And thanks for tuning in. Remember, if you have any questions about anything mentioned in the show, please feel free to message us on social media at PTSD underscore whole. This is Whole with Chandler Marquez and Dr. Jana Price-Sharps. Post-traumatic stress disorder, commonly referred to as PTSD. What is it? How do you get it? How do you know when you have it? And once you know you have it, how do you deal with it? To help dive into what PTSD is, I talked to William Dennis. Dennis worked for Friends of PD as a cop, and the stressful situations he was put in while on the job led him to be diagnosed and treated for PTSD. Day to day, you really interact with people in their very worst moments. And it's not that we all don't have bad moments, it's just our most of our bad moments are very brief, far and, far and few be, in between. But for cops, it's a day-to-day activity. It's We go from every single person's bad moment to bad moment to bad moment, just call to call to call. And uh, I would like to say that, you know, it's, you know, when you become a cop, you're really picturing, you know, what you see on TV. You're really picturing what you're kind of training on in the academy and the interactions and the fights and the guns and that kind of stuff is really heightened, but you don't realize the stress that is going on in just an everyday ordinary call for a police officer. Because when I arrive to a call, I have to assume the worst. And just assuming alone puts me in a state of, you know, survival, of fight, flight, just it's a stressful event. It doesn't matter if it's just a loud barking dog call. I still have to assume the worst to be able to prepare myself just in case. Because it's those calls that throw you off. Next thing you know, you're in a fist fight, and you don't. You're like, why is that guy attacking me? You just didn't realize it. So, and it's not like that's every day it happens, but it, it's more of a gradual thing. And for Dennis, he had a few particular instances that really added to that stress. Yeah, I had many. You know, in 2011, I was involved in. Um, it wasn't a shooting. It was. Um, I used my vehicle to strike a suspect that was shooting at us. And um, so it's still use of uh, deadly force because uh, when I stru- I ran him over with my car. Um, so he was firing at us, and uh, I hit him with my vehicle, and then, you know, w- that was handled as an uh, officer-involved incident, you know, like a fatal incident or whatever. So that was one. I had many other. In 2011, I they did a report where they found that I had the most use of forces in the entire department. I went to Southeast Fresno and it was so active. There was robberies in the street. It was just so active. And so, I mean, there was gangs, there was anything you could want. You just, as a cop, you're driving around. There's just every opportunity to arrest someone and do, do your job. And so it was just, why wouldn't I arrest? You know, I would do six, seven arrests a night, you know, which is a lot. It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of work, but it was so much fun to me. So, I never really understood like the workload itself or the the impact that has on me because I was just going. It was just so much fun. It was just like, you get a young guy like that, I mean, it's like, there's no stop. So you realize you've been in some shitty situations and you're stressed, but how do you know when you have PTSD? What does it feel like? It definitely is like anxiety, stress, depression, fear. You know, you start getting depressed because you doubt yourself. You know, you're just no self-esteem. You definitely are you know, lost, you know, empty, you know, because you start hollowing out, you know, and uh, you have to shut off the emotions. Once you can't control them, you have to just become numb. So it really is a disconnection. Um, When you try to avoid trauma that you don't believe that you can survive, everything is a threat. So I, you just can't settle. You can't relax because everything in your head is screaming at you that you're in danger. You're in danger. So for me, it would be just a constant reactivity to danger. 
and to never be able to rest. And it's just the smoke alarm is going off nonstop. PTSD is a very complicated uh, diagnosis in that it it encompasses a lot of other diagnoses. But to have PTSD, you have to have witnessed or lived through something that was horrific where you feared for your life or you feared for the life of the other person or uh, severe bodily harm or some kind of severe harm. So it has to be trauma-based. It has a lot of different symptoms, and it plays out differently in different people. Uh, But there is a very strong dissociative quality to PTSD. Dissociation is is somewhat hard to describe. Uh, Mild dissociation, we all have mild dissociation. If you were driving to work this morning and you were stopped at a stoplight, you may have started daydreaming about what you have to do today or thinking about what you were going to eat tonight. That is very, very mild dissociation. You weren't in the moment looking at the cars around you. But PTSD, you have more severe dissociation. Um, So that might look like uh, day intrusions, uh, which means that you keep reliving an event over and over. You might be sitting there watching TV and think you're doing just fine, and suddenly you start thinking about the the event or a number of events, depending on uh, who you are and what you do for a living and what you've seen in your life. Uh, you might have a flashback, for instance. A flashback is when the person actually feels like they're back in the event. They lose uh, contact with reality. Uh, they may think they're being shot at. They may think that somebody is trying to hurt them. So they are completely disengaged from the here and now. I uh, was a little bit more traumatized than I wanted to admit or, or want to admit still. I do remember coming back after and uh, being in another pursuit and having flashbacks as I'm driving the patrol car about that shooting um, during like while I was driving. Wow. And I couldn't see where I was going because I had the flashback. And I kind of shook it off and kind of got back to where I was and was like, what the heck was that? And I didn't understand what that was or how that works. I didn't know that flashback idea. I didn't, I was like, that's weird. Ignore that and don't ever tell anyone about Um, it. You might have someone who has a hard time concentrating. Memory impairment is very, very common. You might get somebody who uh, forgets to take their keys out of their car or where they put their keys. And I think everybody tends to do some of that, but with PTSD, it's very severe or can be. I've had people with severe PTSD that can't remember how to get to my office, despite the fact that I have been treating them for a couple of years. It really was that loss of confidence of my ability to handle that trauma and overcome it and and, and survive through that. And it was just like, it really felt like I started doubting myself. I started losing my confidence. I didn't know what was going to... It was almost like I didn't even know how I survived those events to begin with. So if they happen again, I'm dead. And it was just this panic state inside my mind. So there's my normal thoughts, my normal brain going on. And it sounds like there's just this loud, you know, rock music going on in the background. Like you're standing next to those giant speakers at a concert and trying to have like normal thoughts and trying to go about your day with that going on inside your head. And it was just all that message, that music coming through those speakers was panic and, and fear and trying to There's get out of There's often trauma. depression, uh, including 
the sense of helplessness and hopelessness that is so profound during depression is a common factor in PTSD. Um, the feeling like this is never going to end, they're never going to get better. Uh, they can't trust their brain um, because their brain just seems to be going all over the place and it, it almost feels like it's not a safe place to live very anymore. Scary so to speak. Very confusing, very just lost and you feel very isolated, very alone. Um, nothing makes sense, you know, and, and you feel like a failure at home, you know, and it, it's rough. It's a very rough experience. Uh, nightmares are very common, reliving the events uh, or nightmares that are somewhat related to the event, um, waking up, uh, you know, in a cold sweat or covered in sweat is very common. Panic attacks are very common. Uh, panic attacks, a lot of people think that the person feels panic, and that typically is not the case. Panic attacks are when your heart starts racing, you might have trouble breathing, you might have tingling in your extremities, um, you might feel like you're dizzy and you're going to pass out, a uh, flushed face, you might feel an impending doom. Those are very common with PTSD. I started having PTSD. a lot of nightmares where I couldn't get my gun out of my holster. Or when I did get it out, there was no ammo. Or when it did have ammo in it and everything should have been functioning, but I couldn't pull the trigger. This trigger was like cement. I just couldn't. I was pulling it, pulling it, wouldn't fire. And the other guys always had, you know, AK-47s, you know, automatic weapons. Like, there, I was outgunned. I was outmatched. Like, those are the nightmares that started just becoming overwhelming, you know, or the bullets would just go through them. Like, and this was every single night. Oftentimes, first responders who suffer from PTSD are not directly involved with a tragic incident. You can get it from just observing a tragic thing. But sometimes, those are the times that first responders forget to deal with what they witness. And like I said, it, it's tough because some of the calls... I never actually really physically fought someone, but some event happened that was very stressful that you just don't, if it didn't count as a use of force, you just kind of blow it off. You just kind of ignore it. So, you know, there's fatal cr uh, traffic collisions. Uh, I witnessed one. Uh, me and my partner were sitting there writing reports together, and the car crashed straight in front of us. And the girl was, her head was crushed by the car. She wasn't seat belted, and, and the car flipped end over end multiple times, and the power lines came down and we had to jump over all those and it was very traumatic, you know, and, but it wasn't like I had anything to do with it. I just witnessed it. And then you're just go back, finish your reports, go back to work. And, uh, same thing with, you know, we give medical assists. So you have people that are, you know, needing medical attention in their homes. You run in, you try to do your best. They pass away. It's just kind of how it goes. Right. You just ignore it, go back in your car and go back to work. So let's say you finally come to terms with the fact that you're a first responder and you have PTSD. Many times people will go to their department or agency to seek help, but sometimes that can be a tough experience. For William Dennis, he felt that the way the department tried to help him felt like an attack. He felt his career was on the line and he had to defend himself. Um, well, there's the uh, Internal Affairs Department, of course. So they investigate all the use of forces and, and that really feels like they flip the rule on you, you become the suspect. Like what, what I, the tactics I use on suspects is the ones they use on officers. So it's very similar to that, which feels very, you know, disheartening, very demoralizing, very terrible, like way to go about an investigation. I get that they're, I don't know, it's, it's a very demoralizing situation, but um, it's almost like the stress of the job. It, 
if you can't bottle it up and if you can't hide it very well, it's almost like they're kind of taking a peek and they're getting to see like something's there. Like they, it's almost viewed as like a weakness. And it, it really felt like that. Like they were trying to attack a weakness and I had to sure myself up. I had to like protect myself against, I couldn't let them, you know, it's like a chink in your armor almost. You'll lose your position though. You know, I mean, you're, you're screwed. You'll black, you're blackballed. So you piss off the wrong, the wrong person. I mean, it, that chain of command and just it's really a culture of like you know the top guy in all the shit rolls downhill and you just man they could just shit on you and they can really um make your life hell but really if it was just like hey an open door saying look you, you went through these events you've been doing this for this many years you've been through this many use of forces we're not saying something's wrong with you we're saying who wouldn't be going through this of course you're stressed we want to help you we want to support you we're not looking to get rid of you we want, you're an asset we want and if that was the case i would have been more open to getting help but when it looks like they're attacking you and they can you know it that's what they do that's their tactic it's all liability focused by them for them so okay if you lose it and you get us in trouble we're gonna lose money it's the only focus that they have and when it's that, it's like, okay, shit, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the freaking uh, scapegoat here. I don't want to be that guy. So I gotta put up a front. I gotta protect myself. I gotta fight this. I gotta fight, fight, fight. And so as I'm stressing out, I'm also trying to get rid of the stress that's in there and trying to deny it to myself. So how confusing is that? Not only do I need help to figure this shit out, but I'm also denying it in my own head. So I'm my own worst enemy at that time. You know, so it's just a vicious cycle of that kind of stuff. You get past this point, and now many guys will wonder if they can go back and still get the job done. Dr. Price Sharps urges people to start getting help as soon as possible. I think it depends on how long they've been living with it, uh, how much of it is work-related, how good of skills they had before they got it. Um, if you get somebody who has a drinking problem and a depression problem before they got PTSD, now they have PTSD on top of it. <clears throat> so it's different for each person. Uh, but... I'll, you know, sometimes they can go back to the job. I've had many uh, males and females go back to work and be just fine. Um, I've had other people that I'm like, eh, you know, if you keep, uh, it's kind of like running on a broken knee. If you keep re-injuring it, it just gets, you know, it's harder and harder to mend that knee. So there are some people that maybe they need to retire out, but it doesn't mean they have to sit at home. There's other things that they can do in the world, you know, and so... One of the things that no matter what I'm treating a first responder for, I tell them always have plan B because you never know when you're going to get injured on the job, be it mentally or physically. And so always have a backup plan. You know, go get your degree. Go get other job skills. So if things go sideways, and they're much more likely to go sideways for first responders, then they have a backup plan. The other thing is early treatment. You're much better off getting in when it's kind of like going to a chiropractor. You don't wait until you can't move. You know, when your back starts, you know, kind of clicking around, you get in to see a chiropractor or a medical doctor. Uh, and I, I tell them, use me as a mental chiropractor. For William, it was not easy at first to seek help. Well, I was blessed to come across her. At the time, I didn't really like the circumstance, but now when I look back, it was such a blessing. Um, after that, that incident where I ran the suspect over, um, the department sends you to a psychologist uh, to be cleared. And I actually, uh, she was the one I got sent to. So uh, the first time I met her, 
I met her at her office and she gave me some paperwork about, you know, stress and what happens after shooting and all that. And at that, like, you're really putting on her front, like, you don't want it to bother you. You know, you don't want it, you know, it's part of my job. I did what I was supposed to do. You know, he was shooting at us. What am I supposed to, you know, you're very defensive. So for me, it's like, I didn't really listen to her. I didn't really care that much what she had to say. I knew she was helping, and it, I knew it, she felt safe, like coming to the office was safe. Um, but even then, I didn't want to open up. I didn't want to open up to her, you know, because I was still hesitant to that. And I was still denying the height, the, the idea, because if I admitted that I had PTSD, my career is pretty much over. You know, I knew, that means I can't be a cop. So I'm like, screw that. That's who I am. That's my identity. So I fought that. And it wasn't until I talked to another officer who admitted that he had PTSD and he was really broken up about it that it really moved me to see, holy crap, like, this is real. Like, I do. I, and it was funny because everything he was saying, I had experienced, and I'm like, oh, crap. You know, and that's when it hit me. After William was able to overcome the troubles that come along with opening up, things eventually got better. So I think I started seeing results once I came in to her office and shared like this is real for me yeah I do have PTSD and and I need to make a change you know but it was hell until then so it was a couple maybe a year and a half into that process of coming to her regularly before I was actually open to the idea that we can deal with this PTSD stuff so it took a while William opened up about when he was starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel um that was for me was probably 2015-2016 was and it was very brief it was very small but any hope in that point is worth it you know um, 2012-2013-2014 were all rough very rough years of really dealing with a lot of depression a lot of stress a lot of just internal like turmoil and so around 2016 is when I because I had started reading books at the around 2014 I started reading and I started kind of digging into personal development but it was really just doing it to say I did it it wasn't really taking the information in and implementing in any way because you can read a book but if you don't take an action after if it doesn't change your your behavior in some way to help you get better it does it's just reading (laughs) you know and so I think in 2016 is when I really started implementing the stuff I was reading and going wait a minute I'm spending all this time reading these books. What if I actually tried to implement the stuff that they're saying into my life? What would that look like? What would happen? Because really, I was just caught up in the same stressed out routine that I always did that continued to perpetuate the stress. And a lot of times I've read a lot about the research of when you're depressed, you seek out things that not only justify that you're depressed, that make you more depressed. And so when you get in that routine, it's a vicious cycle. And you gotta, you know, I would, I would catch myself desiring energy drinks. Like I wanted that rush. I would desire action movies or guns, you know, like very violent movies. And Janet would say like, make sure you're drinking water. Make sure you're not watching these action movies and watch comedies. And I'm like, ugh, why would I want to do that? And I really thought that she was just off base. Like she didn't know what she's talking about. Cause of course I know everything, you know, got this all figured out. And, and so it was really funny when I started seeing, like, 
that ideal of like, wait a minute, like if I really do care about myself and I want this to change, I got to change my behaviors. I got to everything that feels natural and normal to me. I got to start shifting to if I really love myself and I wanted myself to get out of this stressful spot, what would I actually do? What would that look like? And I really started implementing things of I dropped no more energy drinks. I just got rid of them. And I had like withdrawals for like two weeks and headaches. And I was like, man, this is disgusting. It was horrible. And so I started drinking more water and I really lowered my caffeine. And I really started seeing changes when I started implementing different behaviors that were actually in my benefit, like drinking the water, going to bed on time. Um, I really started working with myself and the stress and stopped judging it and hating it for it being there. William has now moved on from his career as a cop and has found a new passion in helping others. In a few months, he will be a certified life coach and plans to help other people who deal with stressful situations through their profession. In the meantime, he's sharing his story with others and enjoying time with his daughter. So what advice does he have for someone going through PTSD right now? I would say you you have to reach, reach out to your lifelines. And that could be um, really when you look at to me, it was when I was staring at my daughter when she was sleeping and, and I was looking at how wonderful she was and I wanted to be close to her and I wanted to have a life. And uh, that allowed me to, you know, the opportunities are there. The people that want to support you and that care about you are there. It's just about you being willing to, to step into it. So I would say your brothers, your sisters, the ones around you that, that are going through the same things, you got you to gotta open up. You got to share about it. You got to ask for help. And uh, as scary as that is, and as hard as I still have challenges with asking for help, it's time. You know, it's time to speak up. We're all in this together. We're all going through it. Every experience I'm having is the same experience all these other people are having. They're just hiding it better than I did. That's it. So open up. Ask for help. There's people that want to help and support you and love you. And uh, I guarantee you it will make your life better and guide you in the direction you're supposed to go in. So. And what advice does Dr. Price Sharps have? So depending on where the PTSD comes from, you know, is it a childhood experience? Is it a first responder experience? Really know who you're going to go get treatment from. Make sure that they have a background in, in working with, you know, who you are. Uh, because there's a big difference, although some of the, there's some similarities, but there's a big difference in treating somebody who says, uh, say maybe has sexual abuse from childhood versus somebody's a first responder and has a lot of cumulative trauma from that. So make sure that whoever you're going to go see um, actually has a, a lot of training in that area because PTSD is a very complicated disorder. So you want to make sure somebody has a lot of training in that area. Uh, or experience treating uh, people that have what you have. But I, I would really encourage people not to suffer in silence. You know, go get some treatment because you have the right to have a happy life. You have the right to enjoy your kids and enjoy your spouse or significant other and, and enjoy your job or get a different job. You know, life is to be enjoyed, and it breaks my heart that there's so many people out there that just feel like there's no hope and they just kind of suffer in silence. If you're a first responder or you're a person who suffers from PTSD, go get help. Get good help. But in the meantime, really consider working on your sleep. And if you have a sleep issue and you have a nightmare, go into that nightmare and resolve the nightmare. Because a lot of times if you think about PTSD as your brain asking you, is this still an issue? Is this still a problem? 
if you just get afraid of your nightmares, then the brain goes, oh my gosh, this is still a problem. If you go in and you resolve that nightmare, uh, see it as finishing positively, see it as you being re rescued, see it as you doing whatever you need to do, and coming out of that um, nightmare safe and healthy. If you can visualize that, don't go back to sleep, just visualize that. A lot of times that'll start to reduce the nightmares. The VA and a lot of other researchers are finding that sleep is such a huge component. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people use alcohol uh, to sleep. Alcohol actually reduces or stops REM sleep. So they'll drink a six-pack of beer, and then they don't have any REM sleep. They may sleep, but they don't do the healthy sleep that actually helps their brain mend. Your brain can mend, but you've got to set up a, a scenario where the brain can mend. Start watching the funny movies. Get off of the really scary or awful movies. Start listening to the happy music. Start surrounding yourself with positive people. All of that helps your brain release different neurotransmitters that counteract the negative transmitters that your body releases when you have PTSD. There is hope. Go get help. And if you're not sure where to get help, here's a good start. Well, the first thing is if they have insurance coverage to look up who the providers are and then go on the internet and look up who those providers are, you know, and are there any, um, you know, ratings on those providers? A lot of times, uh, like National Police Suicide Foundation is a great place to find providers uh, because they know the providers that are well-versed in working with that, the counseling team down in San Diego. Uh, does a lot of work uh, with um, first responders. Uh, you know, obviously for the military, the VA is an option. Um, but also, you know, if you're in the military, go to your DAV and ask them who have they had good luck with. You know, uh, who is a provider in the community now that people in the military can actually seek uh, help outside of the VA you know, who have they had good luck with? You know, ask around. You know, ask your buddies. Ask your friends who have gone through similar th similar things. Suicide helplines are often a place that you can get good referrals. Um, but a lot of times Google now is a, is a great resource because you can find people locally who has have experience treating PTSD. So once again, this is just the start of our podcast. PTSD is many things and sometimes varies. As this podcast progresses this season, we're going to dig in deeper and talk about things like isolation, obligation, family life, etc. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Big thanks to our guest, William Dennis. Remember to get out of the hole and get whole. Always remember there is hope out there, and if you're feeling like it's too much, the Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255.